It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brad Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. A sports weekend with the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Not just a weekend, a Super Bowl weekend. Uh, pumped up for it. Sunday, Chiefs, Eagles. Who you got? Let us know. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Coming up tonight, we've got high school basketball. It's not going to be Concordia Homestead. That game has been postponed. So if you were planning on attending Concordia Homestead or listening, it's not going to not going to have the game tonight, but we will have high school basketball presented by Indiana Physical Therapy for you as we take the trip down to Norwell to see a uh, potential conference championship game for the Norwell Knights as they'll try to run the slate through the NE8 if they can be victorious over Huntington North tonight, 7.30, roughly our airtime. And, of course, the post game takes place at the Coventry Pizza Hut. Presented by Parkview Sports Medicine, full night right here on the air of high school basketball. And we've also got Mastodon's Basketball. That'll be on the uh, website at 1380thefan.com. We'll have the special stream set up so you can listen to the Mastodons take on first place Youngstown State tonight at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. I'll be on the call with Justin Kenny starting at 645. And uh, and so uh, a busy night tonight. Tomorrow, of course, the road trip down to Marion as we'll cover 4A girls basketball regional action with the Homestead Spartans taking on Fishers, followed by the Snyder Lady Panthers taking on Lafayette Harrison. Four o'clock, the tip for Homestead. Seven o'clock, the tip for Snyder. And both games can be heard on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM presented by Indiana Physical Therapy. By the way, I saw this tweet. Earlier today, Adam Schefter uh, putting out that uh, now that we're in 2023, first-time eligibles for the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2024 would include Julius Peppers, Antonio Gates, Eric Berry, Brandon Marshall, uh, Jamal Charles, Doug Baldwin, Jordy Nelson, Connor Barwin, Sebastian Janikowski, Kyle Williams, and Andrew Luck. It's Andrew Luck, a Hall of Famer. Did he do enough before walking away? I have a tough time believing it. First of all, Super Bowl championships, none. Playoff appearances, yeah, what, one or two? I just don't think, I mean, Andrew Luck was a terrific talent, but we're talking about the Hall of Fame, the greatest of the greatest. And I don't think he did enough. He didn't stick with the game long enough to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I mean, he only played, what, seven seasons total? Uh, was it, uh, well, 2012 to... 
2018 season. Yeah, so six or seven seasons, yeah. It's not enough for me. Nope, uh, not for me. Uh, I, you know, and again, okay, if he had a couple of Super Bowls during that time, maybe if you if you could have packed into that tenure, what what the career criteria is for us evaluating quarterbacks, and of course, it kind of starts with how many Super Bowl championships did they have, how many uh, MVP awards did they get, but I, I don't think he's got enough. No, in my mind. I, I'm surprised Schefter even listed him, but I guess I understand that it's been five years yeah. since, since that walk-off. Some career highlights, NFL Comeback Player of the Year, four-time Pro Bowl, and he was the NFL passing touchdown leader in 2014. Not enough. Not even close. No, nope, we got a text on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. Luck did literally nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's... So. I mean, that's that's basically, that kind of says it all. All right, so you've got the big matchup, Philadelphia and Kansas City. I tried to look at this uh, as objectively as I could, trying to figure out who I think is going to win. I don't have a, uh, a pony in the race, a dog in the fight, whatever you want to use. <laughs> um, but the first thing is to look at the schedules, because they both got the same record. But Kansas City went into the season with a first-place type schedule. And so it's always going to be a little tougher than what you have when you're not the defending divisional champion. And so for the Eagles, I look at, at you know, they played the Lions, the Vikings, the Commanders, the Jaguars, and they played the Jaguars early before the Jaguars started rolling late. Uh, they played the Cardinals. The Cardinals were kind of a mess this year. Um, they played the Steelers. The Steelers didn't have a great year. And so all of the teams they kind of matched up with, um, I, I'm like, okay, their schedule, they got a break. They gave up 33 points to the Packers, but still beat them 40 to 33 because they played the Packers in Philadelphia. And the Packers weren't exactly a, a great team either. Um, but, you know, playing the Bears, uh, you know, in their, in their division, you get the Giants a couple of times. That offense doesn't necessarily scare you. Uh, the Saints, which weren't a powerhouse team. In fact, the Saints beat the Eagles, but that was um, late in the season. So... So I look at the Eagles' schedule and I think, you know, take their their record for what it's really worth and who it was against. It's not as impressive to me as what Kansas City did this year. And then I look at position groups and I start to compare, okay, offensive line, I give a slight advantage to Philadelphia, especially with Kansas City having a couple of guys still banged up. Um, wide receivers, probably the advantage to Philadelphia. Uh, Kansas City's had to replace some wide receivers because of salary cap issues. Quarterback, clearly, I'm going to go Mahomes. I don't think that's a knock on Jalen Hurts. Tight end, got to go with Kansas City. Got to take Kelsey. What about coaching? Ah, I haven't gotten to that position group yet. That's that's see that's if you look at the the planner after position groups, then we have coaches. Oh wow, I I even didn't I didn't even see so that. You're kind of jumping in a little. My bit. bad. Yeah. Uh, um. Secondary, I'll. I really have a tough time. I go back and forth on this. I could say Philadelphia, but Kansas City isn't. I, I, I'll say even. I'll say a wash. And linebackers probably has been a little better for the Eagles this year. 
But um, but coaching, I think, is one of those X factors. I got to take Andy Reid over Sirianni. As much as I think Sirianni's done a terrific job in Philadelphia, I got to take Andy Reid. My pick to win the Super Bowl: Kansas City thirty-one, Philadelphia twenty-seven. There you go. That's my pick. Uh, we're going to be talking to Kevin Bowen here in just a second. Don't forget, you can start your new year or actually st- spend your Super Bowl weekend. At Christopher James Menswear, because they've got their super sale right now. Christopher James Menswear, they can save you up to 75% off. That's 50 to 75% off. Suits, sports coats, pants, sportswear, shoes, and more. 50 to 75% off now at Christopher James Menswear. It is their super sale. And you get all updated on your wardrobe with brands like Canali Meyer, Peter Millar, Johnny O. Magnani, and more. 50 to 75% off. Don't miss it. It goes on through tomorrow at Christopher James Menswear, their super sale where style and service are always in fashion. Christopher James Menswear, Covington Plaza at the corner of West Jefferson and Getz. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix 46. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy. Beautiful Friday evening to head into a sports weekend. And, of course, so many sports that will just lock us down on the couch. Uh, I'm going to enjoy it. Tonight, though, Mastodon's basketball will be on the air at 645. Actually, not on the air. We'll be on the stream tonight, the special stream for Mastodon's basketball. 645 the pregame, 7 o'clock the tip. Mastodon's against Youngstown State. And then uh, high school basketball, last-minute switch. Uh, because of the situation on Homestead, we're going to have Norwell. I don't even know who Norwell plays. Do, who do they? They play Leo. Who do they play tonight? Yeah, Huntington North. Ah, Norwell, Huntington North. I believe it's the NE8. It's uh, NE8. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's the conference, like the the it, title game. Oh, they're playing for a championship. I do believe so. Well, well, let's just say it. Let's just say it. Yeah, let's just, up, let's just stop the drama. We'll just build the drama, call it a championship game. They could both be five and five. We don't care. <laughs> We're going to build this up as the championship of the NE8 tonight. Last minute switch. We did no prep. So uh, join. Uh, who's who's doing the game? Can we, can we find out that, too? Because I have no prep at all. We'll find out. We'll get the uh, crack uh, research team. I think Caleb may be doing the game. Norwell. Somebody is going to be calling play-by-play. We may or may not even know who they are, but they'll be at Norwell tonight. Huntington North, Norwell Knights. High School Basketball, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. It is presented by Indiana Physical Therapy. So we do we do know that part. Joining us now on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline from 93.5107.5, The Fan, down in Indianapolis. It is morning co-host Kevin Bowen from Kevin and Query. KB, how are you today wrapping up this work week? Hey, guys. Happy Friday. Uh, yeah, I know it's, it's kind of a crazy day. Uh, we've, we've got a bunch of last minute programming changes and we can't even keep up with them ourselves, but, uh, hopefully our listeners will lock in for some high school basketball tonight, uh, down there in Indy. I know you're an IU guy, so I guess I should ask you, do you want to start with women or men? Oh, how about that? Well, I mean, the ladies <laughs> played most recently, so might as well go there. And by the way, I was—I I am an IU grad, but I was inside of Mackey last night. Always enjoy being inside oh. that joint. The place is rocking. The, uh, the freshmen were terrific. So, uh, nice win there for the Boilers. Got to see a couple of our Fort Wayne dudes, Caleb First and Fletcher Lawyer, putting on a show last night. Uh, so you weren't part of the 13,000 plus because we debated this in the show yesterday. Who would end up with higher attendance 
the Iowa game at Mackey or the Iowa game at IU. Wasn't that far off. Record crowd down in Bloomington. And, uh, boy, this team just continues to impress. And Caitlin Clark couldn't have done much more. 35 points, hit some huge shots. It's just the depth of IU won out down the stretch. Yeah, it's really insane what Terry Morin has done there and just turning that program, you know, into something and not just something of substance, you know, as the number two ranked team in the nation right now and a team that looks extremely capable of continuing to build off this, you know, kind of tourney success that they've had in past years and obviously, you know, get to a final four. I mean, when I went there, I mean, it was, you know, a program that would never, never, you would, you would think, kind of sniff this sort of success and just the Big Ten success in general this year. You know, I think at times you're kind of used to, you know, the ACC or maybe some other conferences. But uh, from the ladies' standpoint, um, it's been really impressive for the entire conference and obviously a huge, huge crowd. Last night down there, I got great balance. Grace Berger, Mackenzie Holmes are two really, really good players. And, you know, they've sniffed into the Final Four, the Elite Eight, a couple of years ago and the Sweet 16 last year. And I see no reason why they really shouldn't be in the Final Four and honestly probably one of the favorites. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of crazy when you look at it. Mackenzie Holmes has been kind of a constant for them. She's been good almost every game. But her supporter, uh, supporting cast, or the, the player that kind of provides the, the scoring support for her seems to always change. Like, uh, you know, last night you had Garzone with uh, Garzone or whatever. Uh, she only had like eight points, and Sydney Parrish only had nine points. But then you have Grace Berger go off for a season-high 26. It's, it's just kind of fun to watch because you never know. Uh, who's going to be the one that beats you? But they're they're so deep, talented, and uh, and it's fun to see the atmosphere in Assembly Hall rocking almost like it does for the men. And in fact, it is kind of rocking for the men now as Indiana gets the win over Purdue, then follows up, follows it up with a win over Rutgers. I asked earlier this week, who did I ask about the bigger win? Did I ask Sterling? I I asked somebody which game, or was it Rakestraw? Uh, I don't remember, but I asked somebody. Indiana beating Purdue or Indiana following it up and beating Rutgers? Which game was a bigger win in your mind? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting way to to look at it. I thought Andy Katz made a good comment after the game on Tuesday night and said the Rutgers win almost validated beating Purdue on Saturday. Mm -hmm. You know, Indiana and in a rivalry game, stepping up in your own building and beating your rival, albeit a great team in Purdue, obviously number one in America, and certainly with the recent history of that rivalry, those wins have not been a guarantee even inside of Assembly Hall. So that is outstanding. But, you know, when you go back to last year, Brett, they beat Purdue. Um, Robert Fennessy had really the game of his life and, and hit that late one for the win there and students stormed the court, et cetera, et cetera. And then you play a Michigan team a couple nights later inside of Assembly Hall, your very next game out, a bad Michigan team, and they thumped you. Uh, I think Indiana lost that game by 18. So considering Rutgers' recent success, they had won six in a row, you know, outside of Ray Thompson, no one on that roster beating Rutgers at Indiana. The fact that you were able to win that game, and in the second half, I think win it kind of ugly. You know, there was a stretch there, eight, nine minutes scoring a field goal drought. And that was far too often the case last year, and the result would be a loss. But you're able to make some you know, big offensive rebound plays late from Trey Jackson Davis and Trey Galloway, and that was the difference. So, you know, now I think we sit here on February 10th and think, all right, 
It's been a bit of a roller coaster, but this is a legit second weekend type of team. Now the question becomes, outside of Illinois, you got to go all the way back really to Xavier at the start of the year to see, you know, really solid performances away from home. Do you get that tomorrow night against a Michigan team that, you know, again, on paper, has had some struggles this season? Yeah, and uh, Michigan, of course, having to deal with the loss of a couple of players to injury. And uh, actually, it might be the worst time all year to play Michigan because they're on a little bit of a roll with three straight wins, although they aren't great opponents. They do have three straight wins and some confidence coming into that game against IU. I want to touch base with the on Pacers, too, because yesterday with the trade deadline, uh, I we kind of had some anticipation. Maybe the Pacers would make a big splash. They had some salary cap space to play with. Were you surprised at the end result with the Pacers? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I think if we would have talked before the day, I would have said, ideally, you would move one of your surplus of big guys. Mm-hmm. And in return, you would get a youngish piece that, you know, can be a part of your future. And that's, you know, kind of what they did. Obviously, there are a lot of other factors and a lot of other storylines that we can play off of, but... Uh, I felt like with the Miles Turner extension, you knew that that was the big domino. You don't have a lot of notable free agents this season. O'Shea Brissett really the only one. So I didn't think that they would be doing anything too, too crazy on that end. But, you know, Jordan Ora, I think Notre Dame fans certainly saw him at Louisville. He's a really, really strong shooter off the bench for the Bucks, and got a great-looking stroke and you think about the Pacers' second unit, I do think it lacks some shooting. You know, Benedict Matherin is more of a driver than a shooter. T.J. McConnell is certainly not going to scare you too often from the perimeter. So I do think that's where he can help you out. He's 6'8". I don't think he's going to you know, be some staunch defender or some great elite rebounder, but it's a little bit more hype with that second unit as well. They've kind of struggled to find some 6'8", 6'9", guys. Um, and as far as who they gave up, and got in return. I think Serge Ibaka, I'd be shocked if he ever played for the Pacers. Um, you know, Gogo Batadze is a draft pick that probably should have never ma- been made in the first place, um, considering you already had Sabonis and Turner. If you're going to draft, you know, I, I kind of always say this, if you're going to draft a European guy and you're going to draft him as high as they did, top 20, you got to commit to him, like commit to playing him in long stretches. And if you look at Goga, you know, he looked lost defensively at times, but when you played him in some stretches, not very often, he gave you a 13 and 8, 13 and 7, you know, nights like that. Um, I just never thought this was the best place for him to grow, and, and you have to grow by playing him. Um, you know, George Hill, to me, it, I like George Hill a lot. You know, I've watched him in high school, college, hell of an NBA career. Uh, he doesn't need to play one minute for me the rest of the year. You know, it. it the end in sight has got to be continuing to grow your youth. I don't need to see Daniel Tice and T.J. McConnell and George Hill in these second units. You know, Hill's going to be 37 years old later this year. You need to continue to commit to playing these young guys. You're 12th in the East right now. You've lost 13 of 15. That's the path that I would like to see them continue to explore. You know, Hill could be a nice veteran, a nice mentor to Tyrese Halliburton, but I don't need to see him getting 15 minutes a night. <laughs> The uh, I kind of find it interesting that the NBA, I think it was almost a, a statement about the current state of the league that the Pacers could not get rid of. And uh, believe me, they probably would have gotten rid of a couple of these guys for just a cup of coffee. And they couldn't trade uh, any of their bigs. And that kind of tells you the value bigs have in the NBA right now, especially 
you know, guys that are second, third string bigs. Yeah, it's a great point. And honestly, Brett, something that they did do yesterday, they didn't really clear up the log jam of bigs in terms of playing time. You know, when you think about it, before yesterday, they had five centers for one and a half spots. Obviously, you have a starter, and then, you know, I'll call the bench guy kind of a half spot. Well, Turner is a starter, and the half bench spot has gone to Daniel Tice lately. And that's why Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith have really been coach's decision did not play for many nights here in the new calendar year. And that's really disappointing to me, in particular Jackson. And Jackson did not play a whole lot at Kentucky. I think he's shown a little bit. But, again, I you know, you got to play some of these guys. And it's the balance of the short term and the long term that I, clearly Rick Carlisle has fought, especially as of late. But I think the reality is, and, you know, the Tyrese Halliburton missing three weeks played into it, the reality is this is not a playoff team. You know, making the play-in and possibly winning and getting as the eighth seed and losing to Boston in five, that doesn't really do a lot for me. Um, I think it's very clear this team is still a piece away. They've shown a lot of positive signs this year individually and as a team. That's great. But you still need another big-time piece to add to your team. Again, I mentioned the 6'8", 6'9", guys. I think they lack a three-man. I think they lack a little bit of a four as well. I think you need to try and find that in the lottery. And right now, heading into tonight, they are sixth in the lottery, which is, of course, where they ended up last season. They still have a couple of other first-round picks, probably late in the first round, um, I assume. And and I believe it is a pretty good draft after Mm -hmm. Victor Webb and Yama. So I do think the Pacers are still in a position, as they need to be, to go out there and find another really key, critical, important piece to you know, the Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, uh, I guess a little bit of Miles Turner puzzle. How important is it, and the Pacers have a young team building for the future, but how important is it not to completely fail in year one with this group as far as the psyche, the confidence, and the premise for the question? I think of all these teams like at one point Orlando loaded up, the Magic loaded up with a lot of young players. They lost, they lost consistently, and they never could turn it around. And I almost feel like, don't you have to win to a certain level to feel like you're laying the foundation for the future? You can't just fail with young guys and hope to add more young guys and be successful. Yeah, I um, I, I think it's a really good question um, and, and very fair. And it's something I would bring up at the start of this season, Brett. If you look at last year, you know, the Pacers, I want to say, were, I, I forget the exact record, but let's say 4-19 and in what the NBA deems close games. I think that means within five points in the last five minutes either way. Mm-hmm. So they really struggled in late-game situations. And coming into this season, again, getting a lottery pick, I think, was probably the best-case scenario. But I also think it was very important to find yourself in late-game situations and experience winning in those late-game situations so you don't become, you know, a culture of losers, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That's a better term. And, and, and think about your lead guy, Tyrese Halliburton. Not like he won at Sacramento. It's not like he won a whole lot at Iowa State. Now, you know, he had great success with the U.S. under-19 team to won a gold medal. And, you know, I'm not acting like his basketball career has been filled with losing. But collegiately and at the NBA level, he certainly has not tasted it like some other guys have. Um, so I do think they have, to me, Brett, they could, and obviously I mean this in jest, they could win three games the rest of the season, and I still would look at this year as a success in so many important areas. You know, Halliburton and Matherin look 
legit. You've got a few other pieces that I think you really like. Buddy Heald's under contract for another year. Turner's under contract for two more years. You know, Aaron Neesmith's showing you something. Andrew Nemhard's showing you something. Again, you've experienced winning. Um, and at the same time, I think you're positioned nicely coming up in the draft to make a move and find those additional pieces. I just think such a missing ingredient is that wing spot, is that four spot. I think the Pacers lack athleticism there. They've played Aaron Neesmith a lot at the four. I think that's asking a lot out of him. You know, maybe here and there he can do that, but on a night-in, night-out basis, I think you lack something. And for how great of a rim protector Miles Turner is, this is still a bad defensive team. I mean, I think they're like 24th or 25th in points allowed. That, to me, means you got to get better on the perimeter and you got to add some defensive wings to help you out there. Let's talk about the Colts and their coaching search. Things are kind of quiet right now. Uh, I don't know how to word this, but let's say let's say we gave you Tuesday uh, next week the Colts uh, to announce a a head coach that they will make a hire by Tuesday. Would you take that bet? Yeah, I feel pretty confident. Uh, you know, of course I say that and I'm like, wow, you're really confident in predicting Jim Mercy's decision making, but. Um, I, I would assume that early next week, Monday or Tuesday, we'll have an announcement and, you know, hopefully a press conference as well next week. Who's it going to be? Yeah, I, I wish I had more conviction. Um, you know, if you handed me a $10 chip and said you can only place this on one candidate, you know, I'd probably go Shane Steichen, mm-hmm. you know, the Philly OC. Um, I do think Raheem Morris and Aaron Glenn um, our, our two candidates that they've liked, you know, Morris for a long time, Glenn. I think defense. Can't, can't hire defense, Kevin. That can't happen. Yeah, hire well, offense. the only offensive candidate left, I guess, is Steichen. And if you want to call Jeff Saturday an offensive candidate, you can, you can call him that. Is the uh, enemy out? Did he drop? I mean, I've heard his name mentioned uh, this past week. Yeah, it's a good question to bring up because the enemy it was not reported when he had that first interview. The Colts reported that. Um, and then they have stopped reporting the second interviews. So, you know, theoretically, you know, it was the Colts announcing, you know, he got that first interview. You would think that they would announce him, um, or now that they haven't announced second interviews, I should say, you know, maybe he was or is still a candidate. You would think that would have leaked somewhere that, you know, his agent would want to make sure that it was out there, that he was still alive. And I know that they talked at the Super Bowl media scrums earlier this week and the enemy mentioned that he'd interviewed for the Colts but at the same time I think more of the offensive coordinator um, you know uh, interviews that he's had elsewhere you know be the play caller run more of the offense unlike where he is in Kansas City that seemed to be a little bit more on his mind but you know the Colts have been a steel trap with so much of this and that's unlike really a lot of coaching searches so credit to them they've kept it really close to the vest. What about Callahan? Is he out? Is he in? Is he still in the running? Yeah, I, I think it was reported earlier today that he was out, or he's been informed that he'll not be hired. Um, and Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka, um, Kafka being an offensive guy with the Giants. So, again, if you go off the report so far, I think, and who was reported as second interviews, you would be down to Shane Steichen, Raheem Morris, or Rich Bisaccia, the special teams coordinator in Green Bay. Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator at the Lions, and then Jeff Saturday. I think I like Steichen. Yeah, I I, I would agree. Um, you know, certainly you're going to have questions about, you know, he's super young and it's the first time head coach, and obviously you can point to Nick Sirianni and 
and, 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 you know, obviously what, what he's done in two years is darn impressive. Certainly there's others that are not Nick Sirianni. But it's hard, to your point, Brett, it's hard to ignore the offensive trend of the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, each of the final four teams the last two years coached by offensive coaches. Uh, if you go to the final eight teams, uh, it's 13 of 16. Sean McDermott had the Bills in the final eight each of the last two years, and then Mike Vrabel did it two years ago. So 13 of the 16 on the offensive side of the ball, that's a big number. And one more stat that I'll throw at you, Brett, and I know it's a small sample size, but if you just look at the coaches hired last year, eight coaches hired last year, five on the offensive side, three from defensive backgrounds. The three defensive coaches, all under 500, and Lovey Smith got fired. The five offensive coaches, four of the five over five, over 500. Again, it's a small sample size, but you judge that, you judge the playoffs of the last two years, the offense is the trend. And when you have and are likely going to take a quarterback and you've got to provide stability and continuity with that, I, I, I agree. I think it's vital to provide that. And if you hire a defensive coach, it's just going to be hard to maintain that if and when you have success on that side of the ball. There's something to point to on Sunday night. Jalen Hurts, I found this stat wild. This is now his third NFL season. He played in college for four years. This is the first time since his dad coached him in high school that he has had the same play caller in consecutive seasons. You know, Alabama had constant turnover at offensive coordinator, and then he transferred to Oklahoma. His first year in the NFL, under Doug Peterson, year two, Shane Steichen comes there. He initially wasn't even the play caller. Nick Sirianni was. Sirianni then kind of handed off to him midway through the year. Um, and now Steichen has been the play caller in year two, and Hurts has taken off. Um, it, it just is a reminder of how important offensive continuity is. Peyton Manning would have been Peyton Manning in probably a lot of places. But the fact that Tom Morrow was always with them here in Indianapolis mm-hmm. and never left, I think that greatly helped him. Yeah, I'm still stuck on Nathaniel Hackett ruining that perfect record for offensive coaches. <laughs> he was the one. Yeah. So, <laughs> we we know. Ones, obviously, Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota, <laughs> Brian Dable in, uh, in New York, Mike McDaniel down there in Miami, and Doug Peterson. In Jacksonville, so I mean, what three of them made the uh, made the playoffs? So there's you just can't, you can't hire a Hackett as long as Steichen isn't a Hackett. We're good. Hey, eighty percent hit rate if you're going off last year. <laughs> sign up for that. All right, hey KB, always great to talk to you. Have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the yeah, Super yeah, Bowl. I'm, Who do you like? I'm going with Philly. I think I'm an idiot for betting against Mahomes, but I said Philly thirty twenty. Um, I think their defensive line can get after them. Worry a little bit about Jalen Hurts' shoulder, but as long as he's he's healthy, I'm going Philly 30-20. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us. See you, guys. That is Kevin Bowen, 93.5107.5, the band down in Indianapolis. We'll take a quick timeout. We come back to the other side. we got Sam King, Lafayette Journal and Courier to talk to Purdue basketball. That's next here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush. Daily local sports picks, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy heading into a big sports weekend. Of course, we got the Super Bowl coverage for you right here at 1380 The Fan on 100.9 FM. Sunday starting right after Mastodon's basketball as the Mastodon's take on Robert Morris on Sunday. Join us for the coverage starting at 1245. And then after the postgame, full coverage rest of the night for Super Bowl 57. 
Hey, last night had a chance to hear the Purdue Boilermakers knock off Iowa. Nice bounce back for the Boilermakers after the loss to Indiana. Uh, they got back to business at home at Mackey Arena last night. Almost a tale of two games. To talk about it, we're joined by the Lafayette Journal and Couriers, Sam King. And Sam, it was interesting, the contrast in this game last night between the first half and the second half. But I think the most important thing of the night is that Purdue needed a solid bounce back after the loss to Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're absolutely right. And uh, two different halves. Uh, Iowa, I don't think they really outscored Purdue by a lot. Maybe I think it was 52-49 to 49 in the second half. But that first half, uh, Purdue was able to, to break Iowa's press and uh, with ease and get some uh, easy buckets, some uh, open threes, and really took advantage of that and uh, needed every bit of that 17-point halftime lead. Uh, bouncing back from the IU game where the first half was, was pretty miserable, and then uh, and I know there was a, a late turnover that got kind of blown up because of the situation, but Purdue called all the way back in that game and really had a chance to tire or win. Um, so it was nice to come back and, and get a win against a pretty good Iowa team and um, set yourself up now where you've got a three-game lead on the field uh, with, I think, six Big Ten games remaining. Um, that's a pretty good situation to be in, and I think that, uh, you know, as Matt Painter said last night, I'm not going to apologize for beating a, an NCAA tournament team that's probably, you know, a, a five-seed, six-seed by uh, 14 points. You know, Zach Eady, of course, has gotten the bulk of the attention this year, and deservedly so, but uh, I thought it was interesting. We've seen a number of different, types of uh, game plans strategically against him uh, as far as what teams are doing defensively to try to either double team him or, uh, you know, however they choose to play him. And I thought Iowa executed what they were trying to do really well. And I think for Purdue to find ways for other guys to contribute, I think it makes a big statement for Purdue that this is a lot more than just Zach Eady. Yeah, and I think that's uh, becoming more and more clear and uh, Zach even said that after the game is, you know, I've, he's seen every kind of gimmick you can come up with at this point, and he's quite content. I know he's he's a front runner for National Player of the Year, but if he goes out there and he doesn't score a single point and Purdue wins, he's he's satisfied with what he did. He draws so much attention, and and teams that tried to play him uh, man up have just uh, you know been at his mercy. So you really. Uh, everybody's going to be undersized against him except, you know, maybe Michigan. Um, still three inches between him and Dickinson. But uh, he's going to impose his will if, if you match up one-on-one. So other guys are going to have to step up. And um, when Purdue has struggled, they've struggled making shots uh, when Edie's being double-teamed. And, uh, you know, the way this team is constructed, it is kind of around a seven-foot-four guy, but also with most of the time three really good outside shooters on the floor, if not four. Um, that should get open shots because of the double team. So that's what Purdue was able to take advantage of yesterday with, with Braden Smith hitting two early threes. Uh, Fletcher Lawyer hit an early three, and uh, it was kind of an uphill climb for Iowa from there. And fortunately, Purdue was able to knock down those early shots and, and get that comfortable lead and then hold on. Yeah, in fact, uh, Purdue, 27 of their 60 shot attempts came from three-point land, and that's just what, you know, Purdue's become very good at taking whatever the defense gives them. And uh, as you said, they're a flexible team. They've got some guys that can fill it up. Mason Gillis has really come on of late. Uh, we saw last night Caleb First drain an important three ball. It's his only one he took. 
uh, and a solid all-around effort. I have a question, though, because, I mean, I'm no coach, but I can sit and watch Purdue play two games, and I know the one thing you absolutely cannot allow is for Zach Eady to make a catch on the left block and, and be able to move into the middle of the paint coming over his left shoulder. How do teams still allow that, or how does Zach Eady still is still able to get that move because uh, I would think you, you overplay the heck out of him just to take that one play away because it seems like it's almost defenseless. Yeah, and I, you'll notice that Purdue runs a lot of sets where they get the ball usually to, to Fletcher Lawyer on the, the left wing and uh, dump it into him. They're, I mean, they know what the strength is, and they're trying to get uh, a one-on-one there where he can take advantage of that situation. Um, it's you know, It's one thing to kind of say we need to take that away. It's another thing. Uh, to consider that Zach Eady's 300 pounds and <laughs> seven foot four, so uh, you know a lot of things look good in hindsight. But when you're practicing against it and you don't have a guy that's that big um, to kind of uh, replicate what you're going to see, it becomes a lot harder when you get in the game situation and, and try to do that. Um, but yeah, you're right, and I think that um, you know maybe not from coaches or players, but from a lot of fans' perspectives that that still have this narrative that Zach Eadie's just tall, and if he wasn't seven foot four, he wouldn't be that good of a basketball player. I don't think they see that he's got phenomenal footwork and you know really great touch around the basket with those little hook shots or being able to spin and, and get an easy shot or a dunk uh, once he's got position on somebody. And then on top of that, he's become a really good free throw shooter, which was necessary with mm-hmm. the way that uh, he gets played. A, a lot of teams just fell the crap out of him and, Sometimes it's called and sometimes it's not, but he is going to get to the line quite a bit, and that's really why he ended up with 14 points last night because he only took seven shots. Sam King, Lafayette Journal and Courier, joining us on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline. So let's go back to the postgame presser after the Indiana game where you had a question posed to Braden Smith. He had made a mistake, turned the ball over, and uh, and he was asked about it by a reporter. I thought it was a fair question, and I thought – Braden Smith gave a a solid response. He accepted the accountability for the mistake and explained why he made it. And then Zach Eady jumped in and added to that by taking the mic. There were some that were critical of that, which I think is absolutely crazy because I'm like, no, he allowed Braden Smith to give his complete answer to the question he was posed. Then Zach Eady stepped in and said, hey, it's not about one play. I thought it was a great moment. Uh, and and Braden Smith came back, and I don't think it's any coincidence that he had a terrific night last night. What were your thoughts about that whole situation uh, at the podium with with Zach Eady taking the mic from Braden Smith? Yeah, and I was I was actually standing right there off to the uh, the Braden Smith left when he answered that, and and thought he handled it. People forget this as a freshman, and uh, he's right. If you go back and watch it, the possession or two before that. Uh, Mason Gillis was wide open right there, and it would have been, you know, an, an easy pass and, and shot attempt. And just Indiana made a play and shot that passing lane in that situation and got the ball. Um, but he did. He, he owned up to it and said, you know, I, I held the ball too long and probably should have thrown it sooner. And then we've got a wide open three there to, I think at the time, would have tied the game if it goes in. Um, but, you know, nobody's going to blame Zach Eady when he has 33 points and 18 rebounds uh, for losing the game. And so, yeah, I did think it was a situation where he felt like, I'm not going to let this guy who's, you know, really the engine of our team and, and runs our offense and 
Uh, on top of that, does a phenomenal job of, of getting Zach Eady the ball for some easy buckets. Um, be the the guy that gets blamed for this loss um, because Zach Eady did have five turnovers in that game. He did have three in the first half when Indiana, I think, was up by 15 or 16 uh, going into the break. So, um, you know, that's just kind of the accountability that I feel like this whole team has. They really are um, all connected to each other. We heard uh, a few games ago, David Jenkins Jr. talking about how he just will, you know, randomly send a, a text to, to Braden Smith to let him know that he played well or something like that. Um, things that you don't have to do, but this team seems to be really connected and um, really everyone has each other's back. Um, that moment in particular, and, and the one who probably has the biggest platform to talk about it, uh, has become kind of known for hot takes, but he kind of contradicted himself as well by saying, um, people need to take ownership or accountability, and that's exactly what Braden Smith did. He didn't know that Zach Eady was going to yeah. take the mic after the question. He, he answered it, and then, you know, us sitting there in the press conference, we were ready for whoever had the mic next was going to ask the next question about the next topic of whatever they, they were going to write about or, or was going to uh, be on their news station, whatever it might be. And um, Zach took it upon himself to, to say, hey, you know, we all made mistakes. It, it wasn't because... Braden Smith threw a pass that got intercepted there um, that we lost the game. So yeah. I thought that was kind of signifies just, you know, probably why this team is the number one team in the country right now at 23-2 and two because they all are going to step up and have each other's backs and nobody's pointing fingers and, and probably more impressive, nobody cares who gets the glory when everything does go well. You know, if if that pass is not intercepted and Mason Gillis hits the three, Mason Gillis is applauded as a hero. Um and I'm sure that everybody would have loved that because here's a guy that's coming off a 29-point game that didn't really shoot a whole lot against Indiana, um, kind of getting another moment in the limelight. Sam King joining us here on the Masters Heating and Cooling Hotline. All right, so uh, coming up next, it's a game that, you know, for some seasons you could look at this and say it's a bye week. You got Northwestern. Uh, this is no bye week. This good Northwestern team that Purdue's going to play, and they've got to go play them on the road without the support of that Mackey crowd. Uh, th- this turns into, actually, a pretty big game. Yeah, uh, if you look at the Big Ten standings, there's Purdue, and then there is, I think, uh, five teams, all with five losses, and Northwestern is among them. So uh, it's very congested. I think um, you could take about 12, 13 teams even in the Big Ten and say, um, anybody should should or could be anybody on a, a given day. Like, I have no idea how, having seen Ohio State play a few times, Ohio State is 3-10 and 10 in the Big Ten. Mm. Um, it's just, you know, the Buckeyes are a better team than that. But, uh, you know, that's the team Purdue needed a last-second shot from Fletcher Lawyer to beat on the road. So uh, it is. there's a lot of parity in this league, and um, any game that you can get to separate yourself from the pack and for Northwestern being – Tied in that second spot right now, that becomes big for um, Big Ten tournament seeding and possibly for NCAA tournament seeding. So I think Northwestern, this is a game it really can um, help its resume and, and help its situation in the standings uh, with a win. And that kind of still, that would close the gap there to, to two games between Northwestern and, and probably a bunch of other teams and Purdue. And right now, um, it looks like it's Purdue's championship to lose, but... Um, any slip up and, and there's a lot of teams ready to take advantage of that. Yeah, it's so funny because you look at some of these teams and you think, okay, they do have a big, so they got somebody to match up with Edie. Iowa really didn't have an overly big 
center, but they were able to use that that scheme and cause Edie some trouble. So we'll see what Chris Collins and Northwestern comes up with. I think a fun matchup coming up Sunday is going to be the guard play of Boo Booey versus Braden Smith. That'll be a fun one to watch. Sam, always appreciate you jumping on with us. We're out of time, but uh, have a great weekend, and we'll be sure to follow the coverage of Purdue Sports at Lafayette Journal and Courier. All right, thanks for having me on, guys. Always appreciate it. Yep, that is Sam King joining us, taking some time out of his Friday to jump on with us here at the Sports Rush, talking Purdue basketball. Purdue the winner last night over Iowa, 87-73. Yeah, the first half... Purdue locked down defensively, led 38-21 to at the break, and then the second half, like a whole different ball game, 52-49 to just in the second half, as Iowa scored 31 more points in the second 20 minutes than they did in the first 20 minutes, but Purdue was able to basically keep pace and protect their lead. And it got down to, what, 10 or 11? I don't know if it ever got... Did it get to single digits? Maybe 10 or 11? I kind of feel like Purdue was always in control, that they were never threatened that they were going to lose this game. But uh, certainly Iowa was a different team in the second half. One of my favorite things that I saw was, uh, you know, Fletcher Lawyer. Uh, He didn't have the best shooting night uh, from the three-point line once again. But coming down the stretch uh, towards the end of the game, he did hit a three that kind of was uh, the dagger. So it was nice that he didn't lose confidence, still shooting the ball, able to hit that one late when it mattered in the game. Similar to what he did against Ohio State. I mean, we didn't have a great night against Ohio State, but in fact, didn't even start the second half because he was so poor in the first half against the Buckeyes. Ends up being the hero hitting the winning bucket. We'll take a timeout. We're going to come back final time here on the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. We're back final time here on the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix four to six. Tonight, little change in the schedule as we will head to Norwell at the Castle uh boy I, you know we had all those problems with the signal last week at the castle i hope those work out caleb's taking a big chance tonight heading to uh norwell as the knights will be taking on huntington north in high school basketball tonight and of course coverage starts around 7 30 tonight and then after the game it will be the coventry pizza hut for the Parkview Sports Medicine post-game show, Dute and the gang. I don't know, uh, Caleb, and who's there? Mac? I don't even know who else is going to be there tonight because I've got my own job. i got to go out to the Coliseum because the Mastodons host Youngstown State, the first-place team in the Horizon League, and we'll be out there calling the game on the special stream that is available by going to 1380thefan.com. And, of course, all of our high school coverage presented, as always, by Indiana Physical Therapy. So that does it for us. Big thanks to our guests, Rod Parker, Austin Render, Kevin Bowen, Sam King. Thanks to Adam Lundy, our producer. I am Brett Rump. You have a great weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.